0: so kind and so good and so great. And we worship you this morning. We await the, uh, the, the preaching of your word that we may be instructed and encouraged and challenged. Father, we stand before you as sinful people, thankful for what you have done for us. And we remember that this week. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good to see you, Oak Park. I bring you greetings from the People's City View Church in Avon, Indiana. Thank you so very much for your encouragement, your support, and your prayers. Um, We actually, my family and I, have a little bit of a history at Oak Park. Um, I was called to ministry on a mission trip that I went on with Nathan Milliken in 1999. Um, And so I had a chance to reconnect with Nathan while he served here, and then got to meet Jonathan, and got to meet Chase, and You all have actually been a tremendous encouragement to me, whether you know it or not, for a very long time. And so I just want to say greetings and thank you. Uh, In addition to that, I want to share with you just briefly, if I may, uh, a little bit of history about our church and how that feeds into where we're headed this morning in your copy of the Scriptures in Hebrews chapter 13. I have a bit of a marketing uh, background. In fact, my family and I relocated to to this area to to go to Southern Seminary. um, I got a job that I thought was at a marketing company. The way it was pitched was, this is an opportunity to work in marketing for Spalding. Well, I'm a huge sports nut, right? And I was like, wow, so I get to do sports and marketing while going to seminary? Praise the Lord! So I turned down on Bardstown Road the wrong way, because you know how Bardstown Road is one way at one time of the day. And yeah, so I thought I was going to die before I even arrived. And I pull up to this really small building, and I thought, well, this must be their ping-pong division, because this is a, <laughs> it's a really small, small building. And what I learned was I was doing inside sales for a promotional products company, and the owner's name happened to be Spaulding. I was like, well, okay, not really what I had in mind, and yet God was gracious. And When we moved to be a part of this replanting work in Avon, and we had the opportunity to come up with a name for a church, again, I thought, marketing. This is going to be so much fun to come up with a name that really reflects who we are and the culture and the context. And This is going to be awesome. It was not at all fun to do and i remember sitting in uh the room with our leadership team and they were like so like help us think this through like what are you looking for in the name of a church and i said you know one of the things that we've learned is uh, we don't want it to be location based right so because we have people from coming from different areas of the the region so we don't want to be location based and i'd really like it to be something that fits us contextually fits avon where we're at but it's also rooted in Scripture in some way. And they said, oh, that sounds great. Like what? And I said, I don't know. Something like, something like city view. You know, the Bible and the Hebrews, it talks about there's a, a city that is to come, and you know, we're in view of the city of Indianapolis, and Avon is a growing community, so we have a view of the city that's growing and developing. Something like that. So we proceeded to shelve that and try to brainstorm other ideas. 4 6 or 8 weeks and we would interview people in our community and say hey we're starting this new work in the community and and what do you think about this name or that name and we finally sit down in a meeting and our guys look over and they're like hey what do you think about like city view you know we spent 6 or 8 weeks trying to come up with something more creative that just seems to work right and so we, we landed on that name, and I, I wanted to share with you briefly this morning, if I may, from Hebrews 13 about why that, that view of the city that is to come drives us as a body of believers, not only in our local context in Avon, but should drive all believers, all people who are followers of Jesus, if we're captivated by the city that is to come, it will inform the way we live our lives here It's our desire as a body of believers to cultivate a family of neighbors who know, love, and serve our Savior and our city. And we derive much of our idea about what that looks like from Hebrews chapter 13. If you have made your way there, I want to invite you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We're just going to read verses 14 through 16 together. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 14 and running on down through verse 16. The author of Hebrews writes, and he says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and our accessibility to it, Lord. We have brothers and sisters all over the globe today, God, who do not have such um, <laughs> rampant access to your very words. And so we thank you for the privilege that we have to hold it in our hands. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together, brothers and sisters from different places, gathering together today to, to lift high the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that this morning as we study your word, God, that you would speak to the hearts of those who are gathered, that, God, we might leave this place changed and different than the way that we walked in because we have encountered and spent time with you. Father, we pray you would accomplish this, not for the name and the sake of a Park, not for the name and the sake of City View Church, but, but, God, that you might be glorified in and through your people. We pray that you would accomplish these things in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I have to be honest with you, diving into the middle of a book, particularly the end of the book, um, kind of makes me cringe a little bit because there's a whole lot of context, right? There's better than 12 chapters at this point of our text. And so I was told that... um, I I don't have a couple of hours this morning, and so we're not going to do Hebrews 1 through 12, but just very briefly understand that the context of the author is writing to is, he's writing to a body of believers who are uh, living as Christians in some ways. But at the onset of persecution, it's promoting within them a desire to, to waver and to wonder if this is really worth it. And in some ways, it's, it's very similar to the culture in which we live today, right? There's people all around us that live like Christians in some ways, right? They have the Ick through" sticker on the back of their car, but when they get to Sp- Spaghetti Junction, is it still Spaghetti Junction? When they get to Spaghetti Junction, they maybe, maybe don't live like Christians while they drive through Spaghetti Junction. And so the author here is writing to a body of believers who are living like Christians in some ways, but are beginning to waver and wander and wonder in their faith. As we look at these few verses together this morning, I believe we'll see four ideas um, that will aid us in cultivating a city view. And the first of these is found in verse 14, where there's an encouragement for us to value the word. And as we value the word, it begins to create some change within us. Again, verse 14 For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The, the reason that I describe this as valuing the Word is that um, as we look to God's Word, it is there that we are instructed. It is there that we are promised things that only the Lord God is able to teach and to promise. We value God's Word when we read it. When we, when we read it, I prayed a moment ago, we have rampant access to the Scriptures, and yet so oftentimes our Bibles go can entirely unread. We value the Word of God when we read it, when we accept it as true, right? We don't just mindlessly consume it, but we we believe that the words therein are true. We accept it. We value the Word of God when we are obedient. And what happens is that we value the Word of God and we read and accept and obey His words. We'll begin to see some change take place within us. Begin to see some change take place within us. Uh, first of all, we'll begin to develop a change in perspective. The author of Hebrews alludes to this when he says, listen, um, here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. This is a, a matter of perspective. It's a matter of understanding that what we have around us, this present city, will not endure forever. The poet C.T. Studd writes, he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And so we operate, live, work, teach, engage in relationships with the understanding that what we do in the name of Christ will last and all of the other things that we can spend so much time and effort on will eventually pass away. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians that we're not citizens of this city but in fact are citizens of the city that is to come, and therefore we are as ambassadors here. We don't live and exist as citizens here, but are ambassadors here. And such a perspective begins to change the way you and I live. It changes the way that you see your goals. It changes the way that you see your finances. It changes the way you see your children, your dreams. All of these things, your perspective on these things begins to shift and to change. Consider your life for a moment. I I, I like tangible ways to do that. So if you have a calendar app or you have a calendar that hangs on your refrigerator, look at your calendar. Look look at your anybody still use a checkbook? Yeah? Look at your yeah, Chase, you you know, I I hear you, man. Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. Look, look where you spend your resources. Or the way that you're spending your time and finances and resources. Are you spending them on things that will endure? Are you spending them on things that will last? A change in perspective will also begin to produce within us a change in pursuit. What is it we're chasing after, running after? In John 6, verse 27, we find these words, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. You see, God has designed and created you to pursue Him, and yet so oftentimes we live in the pursuit of other things. Certainly the culture around you, I mean, I had to explain to my daughter not long ago what commercials are. Um, Commercials exist to convince you to pursue other things. You were designed first and foremost to pursue God. You're designed first to pursue Him. And all of these other things are on the periphery. If you have a perspective that I'm enduring, I'm, I'm laboring for the city that is to come, and therefore my pursuits begin to change in alignment with that. And changes in perspective and pursuit will create within us different priorities. So if you desire something, you're going to pursue something. Your, your priorities have to come into alignment with that pursuit, right? So if you desire to graduate from school, you have to align your priorities in such a way that that becomes feasible, right? I always joke that I was on the eventual plan at Southern. I will graduate eventually. But we had different priorities, right? I had friends who moved. They lived on campus. By God's grace, they didn't have any other job. They weren't married and so their priorities were, I'm going to take every single class I can humanly uh, fit into a schedule, and I'm going to get in and get out. Well, when we moved, I was married and had a job and had, then had two jobs and then ended up with three jobs, and then we we're pursuing adoption. And my priorities were just very different. And you and I, if we begin to be captivated by a, a view of the city that is to come, and begin to pursue that city our priorities will begin to shift. I'm no longer as concerned with what job title can I acquire? How large of a home can I purchase? How large can my retirement account be? We begin Our priorities begin to shift and align with our pursuits. We must look at the state of our life Our pursuits, our values, our our fantasies of what we want to be or to accomplish, and order them according to God's word. Do you believe, church, that God wants what is best for your marriage? Then why, when our marriages are struggling, do we turn to everybody's words but God's? Do, Do you believe that God wants what is best for your career? Do you believe that God wants what is best for your health? Do you believe that God wants what is best for you? And if so, value the Word of God above and and, 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 in priority over all other things. I'm, uh, as a pastor, occasionally asked for my opinion on some matters and circumstances and frequently, the first question that I'll ask when we sit down is, have you looked at the Scriptures in regards to the circumstance that you're talking about? And you know, to be, to be honest with you, more often than not, the answer is no. And often that's because they just don't know where to look. Like I, I'm sure that the Bible says something about my marriage, but what does it say and where do I go? And church, we, if you desire to know God's desires for you, if you truly believe that God wants what is best for you, ultimately, and bringing Him glory, then you must know His Word. Just value it, study it, read it. This reprioritization that happens within us can only be accomplished if we individually and corporately, church, value the Word of God more than the Word of man, the Word of culture, These changes will result in a life that looks different. It will look different. You don't need to go out of your way to be weird, right? But if you live with a pursuit of the city that is to come, and your priorities are in alignment with that pursuit, it's going to very naturally look different than what the culture is promoting, it will produce a life that seeks to honor and worship the Lord. Look at, with me at, at verse 15. The author of Hebrews continues, he says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. There's three things here in this verse I just want us to note very briefly. Notice with me, first of all, that worship that is pleasing to God, worship is Christ-empowered. What we have done this morning, if it is worship that is pleasing to God, has been Christ-empowered. Notice that it is through Him that we offer up this worship. And the through Him there is emphatic in the Greek, right? It's, it's, It's bold and italicized and underlined. Through Him we worship. And the only way that we can approach a holy God in worship is through the shed blood of Jesus. It is as sons and daughters of Him. And so if you come in, into this place for the purposes of worship and attempt to accomplish that by simply mouthing words that you see upon a screen and do not do this through Christ, Christ is not pleased. He is not honored. If you seek to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to Him, you seek to live a life of worship to Him, but you do it apart from Jesus, it is not, in fact, worship. If anything, at its best, it would be religious. At its worst, it would be your own self-justification and self-seeking pride, the approval and opinion of others. So we worship God through Christ. All things are from Him, through Him, and to Him. Considering this, our worship should not be constrained to a weekly gathering. Uh, When I say worship, typically what we think of is this time right now, right? It's just us. Let's just be honest and transparent with each other. When I say worship, this is typically what we think of, right? And number two, if you don't think of this, you think of a style of music, right? So way back in the day, I worked for Family Christian Bookstore, and we had an entire section of CDs— CDs are these round things they look like records. We had an entire section of CDs and the label at the top of that whole section was worship. Church worship is not worship is not a style of music and it is not a gathering once a week. Worship according to the scriptures is a life lived. To the glory of God. It's to be continuous, as continuous, excuse me, as the author of Hebrews writes. The psalmist in Psalm 34 writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Speaking of this kind of worship, uh, Charles Spurgeon explains, he says, not only. In this place or that place, but in every place, we are to praise the Lord our God. Not only when we are in a happy frame of mind, but when we are cast down and troubled. The perfumed smoke from the altar of incense is to rise toward heaven both day and night, from beginning of the year to the end of the year. So, church, what this means for us is that we worship God in all times and in all places, and this means that that doesn't require us to slap on a mask of fake happiness or to pretend like everything is okay. Some of you have walked through those doors this morning, and if you were just being really honest, you would admit that life is absolutely beating the mess out of you right now. And God is not more pleased with your worship for you to suddenly pretend that that's not happening when you walk through those doors. A famous pastor in, in our uh, culture says it's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way, right? So we don't pretend like life is okay when it's not. A guy in our church, Michael Borden, always teases me. I, I always ask him, hey, Michael, how you doing? And he typically says, I'm doing good, how you doing? And then I give him the look, how you really doing? And then we have an honest conversation, right? God bless him. Cody said, I saw him at TGC this week. He said, Hey man, how you doing? And I actually told you how I was doing, right? We don't pretend like life is always peachy. We don't pretend like life is always okay, but in the midst of the fact that life is not always okay, God is worthy of worship, amen. When life is good, God is worthy of worship. Amen? So if God is worthy of worship in bad and in good, then God is worthy of worship at all times. This is crucial. You and I must understand that no matter the circumstance that you are enduring, good or bad, sometimes I think when life is going great, it's almost as difficult to worship God in that moment because we have persuaded ourselves that we are the ones to credit for the fact that life is going great. We don't worship God in those circumstances. We worship us frequently. But regardless of whether things are going good or bad, He is worthy of our praise. By God's grace, He is using your circumstances today. I don't know what's happening in your world, but the circumstance you are facing today, by His grace, will be used for His glory. Worship is to be offered through Christ continuously. And then finally, it is to be offered sacrificially, church. Worship is to be offered sacrificially. The idea of sacrifice is that it costs you something. It's not truly a sacrifice if it didn't cost you anything. It may cost you time. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you the opinions of others or a promotion. It may cost you the dreams and visions you once held so dear But as we have noted, it is not to be a fair-weather offering, but an offering in all circumstances. And this means that we turn to God's Word to derive from it how we are to offer these sorts of sacrifices. And if time would permit, I would tell you from the Scriptures of all these different ways that the Scriptures inform us how we are to offer up worship that is sacrificial and pleasing to God in the midst of daily life or in the face of turmoil. Well One of the things I do want to point out for you momentarily, if I may, and I have the microphone so I may, is that we're to offer these sacrifices of worship and praise with joy. With joy. Now, again, it does not mean that we fake it, but that we are, that we enjoy God, we find joy in him. The psalmist writes, and he's always so helpful, especially when it talks about the idea of praise and worship. Uh, in Psalm 107, it says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Psalm 54, verse 6, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Larry Richards writes, he says, It it follows that this fruit is not born by simply coming into the service on Sunday, praising God, and then going out on Monday and living in the world deceptively thinking that one can return the following Sunday and bear fruit from his mouth that is acceptable and honoring to God. A life lived with an eternal perspective in an attitude of worship bears witness to the goodness of the gospel, and makes an impact upon those around you. We desire to be a people who impact the city and the nations with the gospel. And far too often, this is a project that we take on in a given season or day or time. We gather to go witnessing, or we have visitation night. Not, it's not that those things are individually bad, but, but church body, church family, If we live valuing the Word of God in an attitude of worship, you will impact the city and the nations with the gospel. You will. You won't even realize that you're doing it. I have a good friend, um, Stephen Harrison, and uh, Stephen uh, falls out of bed sharing the gospel. I am certain that every pair of slippers he has have prayed to receive Jesus. I mean, he just falls out of bed sharing the, the gospel, and uh, I, I sat down with him one time, and I said, Stephen, talk to me about, like, w- what does it look like when you're sharing the gospel? What, like, this sounds like really a dumb question, a really basic question, but like, talk to me about, like, what happens? And he was like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just talking to somebody, and I said, hey, you know, Jesus is really going to assist you, aid you, help you to understand this circumstance. To which they say, how? And then I just share the gospel with them. Um, I I, I appreciate the brother earlier who prayed for us and we were able to celebrate. Uh, We're going to have to revisit some of our goals, praise the Lord. we want to have a thousand gospel conversations in our city and we've had five people thus far this year pray to receive Jesus. Stephen led one of these um, to Christ recently. She is now a former Muslim. Um, Came into the school in which he works, had some physical needs. He and some teachers met that physical need and then he said, you know, eventually those things are going to pass away. Those things are going to fade. You're going to run out of them. But there is something I can give you that won't. To which she said, really? And he said, yeah, would you like to hear about that? And she said, well, yeah, I would. He said, okay. And into the gospel he goes, and she prays in there in a school in Indianapolis to receive Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior and immediately began to shed the garb of her Muslim faith. And this was not because he had scheduled to go witnessing, but because, by God's grace, he values the Word of God, and it has transformed the way he views his work. And he lives in an attitude of worship, regularly praying and asking the Lord, God, who might you send my way today that I might share the good news of Jesus with? He's not perfect, but he's just just a guy. And I share that story with you, not to prop up Stephen, but to tell you if Stephen can do that, you guys can do that, I can do that. Verse 15 we read from the author of Hebrews he says through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name do you desire to see the lips of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers acknowledge his name I know this is a, a good southern baptist church right I'm going to ask that again but not rhetorically Oak Park, do you desire to see the lips of your friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members acknowledge His name? If you do, then we are to be a people who live differently, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the gospel, an opportunity to impact the city and the nations. Consider the impact of such fruit in your home. Uh, my wife and I, our first and foremost desire for gospel conversations is with our daughter. And church body, church family, the gospel ought to be something that is a conversation in your home regularly. We don't graduate from that. Some of you say, well, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and my kids are grown, and so we don't, we don't need to do family devotions like we did when they were kids. No, you, you, you do. You, you, you do. You need, you need to be reminded daily of the calling to live a life that is in an attitude of worship. Uh, imagine how this would transform your workplace. Imagine how this would transform your church if we stopped assuming the gospel and begin to vocalize very intentionally the gospel. Imagine if some of our conversations were less about um, the cults or Cardinals. Um, Chase, you're leading them to be Wildcat fans, correct? All right, all right, praise the Lord. But imagine if few of our conversations revolved around that, and more of our conversations revolved around what God is teaching you in His Word, questions that you have, ways and things that you ought to be celebrating. Who you could be praying for. I'm totally stealing the cards with the one and the prayer. and Man, that was good. I love that. Um, we'll, we'll be taking that home with us. Imagine the impact that this has upon the cities and the nations around you. Church, I don't, I don't know if you always recognize. I certainly don't always recognize. But the, the, the nations are here. The, the, a couple of weeks ago, I sat at the back and I looked across the back of our congregation and I saw... Ethiopians. I saw Guatemalans. I saw um, a couple from uh, Nigeria. I saw uh, a young lady from Taiwan. And we live in Avon. I mean, we don't even live inside the loop of Indianapolis, you know, where you would expect to see lots of diversity. The nations are here, and you can make an impact upon global missions by living for Christ here. Here. Do you see how cultivating a, a city of you begins to drive the bus? If you truly value the Word of God, it does not simply describe your life, but drives your life. Your life ceases to be about you and your desires and your wants, Notice in verses 15 and 16 that we see two kinds of sacrifice. We see a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of action. We've already considered the sacrifice of praise very briefly. Let us now turn our attention briefly to the sacrifice of attention. Excuse me, the sacrifice of action in verse 16. Where the author of Hebrews tells us, "Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have" John MacArthur very helpfully notes related to this verse, that the sacrifice of praise coming from the lips of God's people please Him only when accompanied by loving action. Paul echoes this same idea, or maybe I should say John MacArthur echoes Paul's idea in Galatians 6, where Paul writes, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here's the reality. There is opportunity for you and I to do good all around us if we are willing to look. If we are willing to look. If we're willing to have more than passing conversation. And if we will begin to look very intentionally for ways and people and opportunities for us to do good. Perhaps you have done this in the past and you somehow got burned. You use that experience as a reason you withhold good from others. If you think that you would do good to others if you simply had more money or more time, you're deceiving yourself. You're rationalizing and self-justifying in a manner to make you feel good about your complacency. Make me feel good about my complacency. Our service to others is not restricted to meeting physical needs only. Consider these words from the Apostle John in 1 John 3, verse 18, where he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's important for us, church family, for us to regularly be reminded that word and deed are not divorced, but accompany one another. And the reality is that many of us will tend to one or the other, right? You heard the old adage, perhaps, to give a a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Some of you are fired up about giving the cup of cold water, but really nervous about doing it in Jesus' name. And some of you are so concerned with getting to Jesus' name that you forgot cold water altogether. The Scriptures speak of these as being joined together, both and. From from what I know of Oak Park, you have some very wise, studious followers of Jesus who love the truth of God's Word. As somebody who tends to bend a little bit more in that direction, let me warn you, As I warn myself not to neglect doing good to others. Wonder if you're here this morning, and by God's grace, you are one of those, man, I just love to jump in and do good. I thank God for you. You are an encouragement to me and a reminder to me. Do not neglect to bring up the name of Jesus. We had a brief conversation in our church not long ago where we were talking about uh, defining gospel conversation. Um, we have a tendency to want to define it in a way that makes it sound like we had a gospel conversation. Inviting somebody to Oak Park is a wonderful thing. They will hear the gospel here, but inviting them to Oak Park is not a gospel conversation. said, it's, it's not a gospel conversation if the name of Jesus doesn't come up. Because you have no gospel if you have no Jesus. And so we... We are called to do both of these things, these, these ideas of doing good to others and, and bringing the word of truth to bear. And notice that we are told in Galatians 6 to do this to all people, but particularly within the house of faith. Get I just want to encourage in your mind, don't assume the gospel. There are people gathered here this morning That you and I would assume are followers of Jesus, but in fact are not. Do good to them. Share the name of Jesus with them. At best, they're followers of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who will meet the needs that they have. At worst, they're not followers of Jesus, and you've had an opportunity to bring the name of Jesus to them and invite them to repentance. We equip the church in deed and in truth. And in essence, we are talking about discipleship, which can, can get messy. True discipleship is not restricted to a chapter from someone else's book or an hourly meeting once a week, but involves stepping into life with someone. And as we do this, we're given the opportunity to live out what we claim to be. I have ceased asking in our community if people are Christian. And have begun to ask people, are you a follower of Jesus? Because that hits a little bit differently. We live in a culture and a climate in which to ask somebody if they're a Christian, uh, it's very easy to say yes. Although praise the Lord in some ways, that's that's not going to be an issue going forward, I don't I don't believe. But it's been so interesting to see how people respond differently when you ask if they're a follower of Jesus. As we do these things, we have an opportunity to live out what we claim to believe as followers of Jesus, offering up the sacrifice of praise and living a life in an attitude of worship. Why do we do this? I don't know that I ever really grew out of the why phase. I ask a lot of questions. Why do we do this? Well, thanks, um... Thanks be to God, and the author of Hebrews answers this in verse 16, where we are told, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you're hearing this this morning, and you're taking some notes, and you've jotted down some actions, some things that you need to do, actions you need to take, be reminded that you must first start with your eyes fixed upon Jesus. If we are to, excuse me, if we are to bear the fruit described here today, it will not be because you and I have manufactured that fruit. True fruit comes from trees. Shocking, I know. If you would like to eat an apple, the apple comes from an apple tree. You can't manufacture that apple no matter how hard you try. You can manufacture a facsimile of that apple. You can manufacture a wax apple. If you've ever bitten into a wax apple, it does not taste like an apple. It tastes like wax, which is gross. So oftentimes, church body, we are so desirous of manufacturing fruit that we neglect to abide in the one who will produce the fruit within us. Consider the difference between wax fruit that is manufactured and true fruit that grows. They can look identical, but only one is sustaining and life-giving. Only one is authentic and able to reproduce. John Piper says it this way, Work for God that is not sustained by wonder at God is a weariness of the flesh. Priority number one is the cultivation of hearts that stand in awe of Him. Church family, my prayer for you and for me is that God will cultivate a heart within us that stands in awe of Him, a heart that is captivated by a view of the city that is to come. And if I may, I'd like to pray for us to that end. Father, You are good and gracious to us Father, it is my prayer this morning, God, that you would um, stir up within us, cultivate within us a heart that is pleasing to you, that is captivated by a city that is to come. Lord, if you would do this, Lord, I know that our lives would look different than the way that they were when we walked in. We pray that you would accomplish this for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.